Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Gonghei Fa Choi. It's the Lunar New Year, and we're here to talk some Lunar New Year film news, as well as a couple of reviews on this first of what will probably be a two-part Lunar New Year special episode. Um, and we're going to be reviewing Agent Mr. Chan and Monster Hunt 2. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk on top of a pile of red packets is Mr. Kevin Ma. I'm rich, rich. Hey there, Paul. <laughs> are, you, are you making it rain, red packets? No, no, actually, I didn't get that many. I mean, got some. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm mean, not kidding. I'm not that rich. Did you read that? I'm not sure. I read somewhere um, over the weekend that Hong Kong people actually pass out, I think, like 33 billion Hong Kong dollars in red packets each year. I believe it. I mean, I just know from my own personal experience that family members on my wife's side, my younger in-laws, who can still get red packets, um... You know, they, they they make the rounds. <laughs> you know, it's like they, they hit pretty much everybody up on their family, both in Hong Kong, and then they take a trip to China for a few days. And when they come <laughs> back from China, let me tell you, they are really swimming in it. So um, I, I believe it. And I read something. Uh, there was a news posted somewhere on Facebook or something just before I started recording that I was reading. Apparently some kid is suing his parents for actually taking... But his red packet money, you know, and wow. there's this question now that that's been going on. I guess it's a bit divisive on social media about, all right, who actually gets if you're a kid who actually has claimed to the red packet money? Um, and to me, I think that's like taking a kid's presence away. It's like, oh, you got an iPad? Give me that. You know, it's like, who who does that? Um, but you know, I guess parents can do what parents are going to do. Uh, I know that for our daughter. Any red packet money or presents that she's gotten over the years, we've kept it, but we've put it like in a a separate bank account that's like just for her, and you know later we'll fund that into a a college savings program or something. So you know that money will go to her at some point. It's not like we take it and and go on a spending spree or anything. Um, well, what age what age do you let her start keeping her own own packets? Let her spend the money on her own. I mean, I guess when she's probably, I guess, a teenager. You know, we'll mm. discuss with her if she wants to keep saving it or she wants to use it or save part and use part. Um, you know, when she's we've had some time to give her a little bit more instruction about how money works and things. I do want her to have a little bit of agency. But of course, you know, if you just let kids go hog wild without any kind of guidance, they'll just, you know, uh, blow it on stupid stuff. So we don't want that to happen either. So. You know, I, I think there's a happy middle ground. You know, it's it's an interesting cultural fact, I guess, that a lot of parents feel like that's theirs to control uh, and do with it as they see fit. Um, 
Don't take red packets away from babies. Not a good idea. No, I mean this um, is like that Jimmy Kimmel um, prank where they tell you know parents tell their kids they they ate all the Halloween candy. Yes. I mean that's, that's just we, mean spirited. We did that this year. Oh, oh! <laughs> My wife loves watching those Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel segments, and I'm like I don't think it's a good idea. And and, and she did it because she wanted to see what you know her reaction would be how she'd react would she freak out and get angry or would she say that's okay mommy or you know and and she kind of you know was sad for a moment and then she was like okay and then you know i was just like standing there i i, I couldn't really be a part of it um <laughs> but it, it all worked out you know but yeah that's a, i've always thought that's a really cruel you know scarring thing to do to kids um Again, different strokes for different parents, I guess. So, but we are not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Lunar New Year. So, Gong Hei Fa Choi, Kevin, and Gong Hei Fa Choi, everybody out there. Gong Hei Fa Choi, everybody. Um, so, it is the Lunar New Year, a big holiday time. At the time of recording, we're actually on what uh, Chou, right? The the sixth day of yep. uh, Lunar New Year. So, any, I mean, are there any? We we're going to be talking about the new films, of course, um, that have been released for this year, but. You know, as many people know, if you've listened to me talk on like Podcast on Fire or, or some of the other programs that I've guested on, some people may know that I'm a big sucker when it comes to holiday movies, you know, like Christmas movies. I watch like the really bad Hallmark movies that they put out every year and stuff like that to kind of get me in the spirit. Do you have anything like that? For I mean, are there Lunar New Year films that you go back to and watch every couple years? Any like It's a Wonderful Life's for you or White Christmases for you that you have to return to to get you in the holiday mood? Well, I don't have to. Get, I can watch New Year movies all year, right? Like, I think I think a lot of films, a lot of so-called New Year films, aren't. If they're good, then they play they play well all year. You know what I mean? Um, I recently had to watch Also Ends Well, but for the first time in a long, long time, because I don't remember most of the movie now. But I had to watch it for the first time uh, in a long time for something I had to do, and. Um, I mean, let's face it, Lunar New Year films aren't exactly the greatest filmmaking. They set out to do one thing, and make people laugh, and they can be nonsensical and, and you know, things like that. But the original Oswald and Zoe is great, because of cat, mainly because of the cast. Um, and, um, of course, I love, uh, I don't remember if, you know, Stephen Chow movies, Stephen Chow always has great Lunar New Year comedies. Um, uh, I, I can't, I remember, I can't remember if God of Cookery is a Lunar New Year movie. Probably not. Um, but of course, it also ends well. And during New Year dinner, my my family, I was having dinner with my family, and they turned on uh, also ends well nineteen ninety seven because it was on TV. And yeah, the film's not great, but it was good. It was good for a laugh. We had a good time. And um, of course, my one of my favorites is Fat Choi Spirit. Johnny yeah, Toes, Fat yeah, Choi Spirit. That always holds up. That holds up all year because it's just a great mahjong movie, not just a great New Year movie. Um, I I would like to see. Wu Yen, which is also another Johnny Toe um, New Year movie. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I remember being turned off by it when I first watched it. But once you get into the whole cross-dressing thing and you actually buy, if we just imagine Anita Moy is doing Stephen Chow, then the film actually works perfectly fine. Um, what about you, Paul? Any, any? You, you're, you're older than me. Sorry, <laughs> but so I think you know my generation would be like, yeah, Fast Horse Spirit. That's pretty old. But of course, they're you know, it's a, it's a long, long tradition, right? So, any older Lunar New Year films that that you like? I mean, I like. I can pretty much watch any of them, even the really bad ones during the holiday, and they'll put a smile on my face. And when I say the bad ones, I'm thinking of like you know, uh, I love Hong Kong, the third one with the. Alan Tam and <laughs> Eric Zhang in the the curly wig. Um, 
or uh, the other one, what was the Alan Tam one that he did in the in the mainland? Um, so bad that I oh forgot gosh, the name, forgot the name um, of it. <laughs> I forgot the name of it too. Yeah, but, I don't know which one to talk about. You know, it's uh, there are a few favorites that I can pretty much watch, like you said, anytime. But I like to watch them during the New Year. Fat Choice Spirit is definitely one, and that's a newer one, but it's a really good, high quality piece with you know big name celebs and cameos and everything. Um, I also really like more recently the 72 Tenants of Prosperity, the one that kind of rebooted the, Mm -hmm. you know, Lunar New Year, traditional kind of Lunar New Year film. And so I really like going back to that one. I Love Hong Kong a little bit is also good, but beyond that, they kind of start to be hit or miss. Um, But the old ones are great to watch too. I've watched them so many times though that um, I need some distance from them now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that I can go back to them in a couple years and, and you know, have them be kind of a bit more fresh. Um, this year, I actually, because usually every year, what I'll do is I'll buy one on digital, because I have mostly everything on either DVD or, or Blu-ray now, but I'll buy one on, like, um, iTunes to have a digital version of it that I can just, you know, throw on and not have to worry about a broken disc or something. And this year I actually bought, I don't think it was a New Year film, but I bought... Uh, Chicken and Duck Talk, mm. um, which I actually have on, on Blu-ray in the set unopened. And I was like, mm, do I want to crack the Blu-ray? Nah, I don't think so. I think I'll just <laughs> buy it on set, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't a big price and I had some discounted iTunes gift cards. And so I was like, yeah, that'll be my, my New Year purchase for myself this year. Um, and so we watched that and that looked great, um, you know, in what I guess is the, the current remodified or restored version that they did for HD. Um, but, of course, it lacks a lot of the features that are going to be on the, the Blu-ray and DVD sets, the, the interviews and commentaries and things. So I'm sure I'll be tempted at one point to go back and crack open those those sets. But, yeah, that's pretty much what I like to do is, you know, throw in a couple every year um, and go back to some of my favorites. And I know there was a discussion on the Love Hong Kong film group on Facebook about, you know, what are your favorites? And a lot of people went back to some of the older ones with Stephen Chow and, and Leslie. Um, but some people had, you know, some newer ones. The Fat Choice Spirit was mentioned in there as well. So uh, it's interesting to see which ones that people tend to gravitate to more than others. And hopefully, you know, it's because we were talking about A Beautiful Moment, and you're probably going to talk about that maybe uh, next week or on a future show. And... You know, because that's the one this year that looks like the sort of very traditional kind of Chinese New Year film. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily hold up to the standard that we have for these ones like Fat Choice Spirit and others. So hopefully we'll get something um, a little bit more along those lines in years to come. You know, now that we're kind of out of the, the Vegas to Macau series, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, going back to that discussion that you just mentioned, there was um, a, a person that just flat out uh, um, dissed Lunar New Year films. They think that they're all crap. And yeah, what, what do you think about that? That's I mean, fair. I mean, you, you, they're not for everybody. And if you know, if you don't like that kind of, it's it's fast filmmaking. It's going you know typically for. Um, you know, quick hits and quick laughs, like you said, usually doesn't necessarily have the greatest production value. And hey, there are a lot of people who are down on the Hallmark Christmas movies too because of their they're super formulaic and they're thrown together and they're very cheap and they're often copying and recycling classic plot lines. 
and, and mix and matching them together and they rarely have anybody as a big star usually the biggest names you're going to get is somebody like Dean Kane. so and that's not to diss Dean Kane, but you know that's the kind of level that you're dealing with and some people look at those and go hey that is a complete waste of my time I've got better things to do and that's fine other people love them so you know I think that if you don't like Lunar New Year movies you know good on you go for the stuff that you like and there's nothing that says you have to enjoy them but for me it's just something that I look forward to and it's something that I enjoy and you know maybe you're along this line too because I think you kind of alluded to this I'm a little bit more lenient <laughs> when it comes to Lunar New Year films right um, because I'm really there to kind of be in the spirit and and I'm not looking to be maybe so strict in and judgmental I mean if it's if it's a it's still not a good film it you know I'm gonna say that but um, I, I I'm ready to let my guard down a little bit more I think yeah no I agree I think you can you can you can you, you, you have a right to not like them I think you can say oh you know those aren't up my alley alley but um, I don't think anyone should outright dismiss them or their existence because i mean those films are made it's like christmas films like you said they're, they're just like christmas films and they're made to for certain people to get into a, a holiday spirit and it's a long tradition and uh, i'm not gonna mess with that tradition i mean i i grew up with that film just those films just like just like people in hong kong did and to me yes it's true uh those films are not made with the the greatest you know production value or the greatest planning or the greatest writing but they aim very low they just want to make people laugh and to me a new, new new year film that makes me laugh yeah it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't have to be well made it just has to make me laugh and if it makes me laugh i would i would say it's a good new new year movie it's not a good it's never gonna be a great film but fine it's a great new new year movie but you know i think i think there should be a, a certain at least understanding or respect that these films do exist for a reason and there are lots of people that enjoy them just like transformers like i don't like them i think they're bad but i can see why people enjoy the first couple of films then they're just crap and no one should enjoy those <laughs> but <laughs> and, and lots of people agree with me but um you know new near movies to me i i, I do have lower standards because they aim low and if they reach that low standard then it works for me and and yeah that's why yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy. I love Hong. I enjoy Seventy Two Potatoes of Prosperity. I think that's my favorite in the series, just like you. But I would never say it's a good film. Um, in fact, actually, I was thinking about Beautiful Moment, and and I was gonna say that it's it's really terrible, blah 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 blah. And I was gonna say that it's the worst New Year, New Year movie since Oswald Ends Well, two thousand twelve, the one with Donnie, uh, the one with the Donnie is a makeup artist. But then. I realized that there was a there was Hello Babies. I don't remember a single thing about Hello Babies, and perhaps that is the worst thing that you can say about a Lunar movie when you can't remember a single thing about that film. So perhaps a Beautiful Moment may be the worst Lunar movie since Hello Babies, but in my memory, I would say it's the worst since Also Well 2012. Mm. It's too bad Koza is not running the 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 website anymore because you know he did he was very good at organizing those best of the 80s, best of the 90s things. We could do a best of New Year films of all time uh, oh, uh, to, to see how, you know, the, the the audience out there stacks them up and rates them. Uh, maybe that's a task for a future day. All right. Uh, if you have some favorites that we didn't mention or that you'd like to mention, do drop us a line and leave us a message over on our Facebook site or uh, on our website. We'd be happy to hear from you. For now, it's time for the news. So, Kevin, back to you. All right, here at the news desk, 
Um, I don't know if you guys saw uh, AsianCinema.com, but I finally updated the website. Um, and I pulled off a very, very big project. Uh, I essentially went over... Because um, China is not the... Despite certain recent articles, China is not the only country that celebrates uh, New, New Year. Um, Korea, Vietnam, um, Singapore, Malaysia, mainly mainly Chinese-speaking countries plus those you know, Korea and, and, and Vietnam, they also celebrate Lunar New Year, which means that uh, Lunar New Year is a huge, huge time uh, for film studios. And um, just like I predicted, it was a very, very big weekend for Asian cinema. So um, in China, I'm not going to go through every country. I mean, for example, I don't have box office figures for Vietnam, uh, but it was a very big... It's, it's, I think the Vietnam New Year holiday, just it's just ending today or just ended today or just... Um, and today's their first day back at work or tomorrow, I don't remember. But, um, uh, of course, China um, had a huge... Lots of offerings and was it was a huge, huge period for, for Chinese box office. Um, Monster Hunt 2 first broke the op- uh, opening day record for any film uh, in history of all time with, I think, five over 530 million renminbi. Uh, but then it's, it, it, it tapered down and uh, the other two films, Detective Chinatown 2 and... Um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, sorry, Operation Red Sea yeah. uh, starting to climb back up yeah. uh, quite quickly. Um, so they, so it's very likely that Detective Chinatown Two, I think, already is already overtaken Monster Hunt Two at the box office, and Operation Red Sea is just doing better and better thanks to positive word of mouth. Um, and yeah, of course, there's there's Monkey King Three, but actually that has been doing worse than expected. It's only made about half of what the last film made, so um, that film is in trouble. Um, but still, it, it's a you know we talk about tons, a lot, a lot of money. Um, in Hong Kong, uh, um, actually, the champion is uh, the film we're talking about later today, uh, later in the show, Agent Mister Chan. It nearly beat Black Panther. But Black Panther only won because of the uh, the 3D and and you know the uh, I think there there was a ticket price hike because of the running time. But um, so actually more people went to see Agent Agent Mr. Chan during the Chinese New Year holiday in Hong Kong than Black Panther, which is amazing. Um, and then the the second place films for Black Panther, and then the next one is Monster Hunt Two, which has already outgrossed the original thanks to the Chinese New Year uh, slot, and of course Tony Leung being the film. Uh, and then it's uh, Patrick Kong's A Beautiful Moment, and then it's uh, Monkey King, and then finally we get to Fer- Ferdinand. Yeah, Ferdinand, the bull movie, uh, the bull movie from Hollywood. Um, yeah, Paul, how about how about uh, how's it doing in? Uh, it was a huge weekend in the states, right? But not because of Chinese New Year, of course, because of Black yeah, Panther. Well, Black Panther pretty much dominated uh, screens, um, and is you know I guess broken out lots of records for um, movies and for Marvel movies as well. It's I think it's the biggest Marvel movie to date. It's getting super positive reviews. Uh, I'm not sure when I'll get a chance to get out and see it. In fact, we just watched Thor Ragnarok last night because it, it uh, opened on uh, streaming on uh, iTunes. And so I uh, finally got a chance to see that. And I'd like to get out and see it in the cinema, but I don't know if that's going to happen. There's other stuff that I want to see as well and i've got limited time to actually uh, go out and watch movies unfortunately but even so i mean um the one article that i'm reading here does talk about some of these chinese new year films or lunar new year films excuse me getting a release into uh, the states in you know limited theaters i think around uh, just over 200 theaters 
and pulling in a combined Friday to Sunday gross of about $1.1 million. And that's for three of the films mentioned, which include Monster Hunt 2, Detective Chinatown 2, and Monkey King 3. So two of those films got my money. Third one did not because I just didn't have time to go see it, but it is also playing here. And so that's, I mean, that's that's no small feat, um, considering even though the screenings that I was at, unfortunately, Monkey King 3 was a private screening for me. <laughs> there was nobody else there. <laughs> um, but there were actually three other people in Monster Hunt 2. So I don't know if that speaks again to the drawing power of the property that is uh, Monster Hunt 2, which we'll talk about in a little bit, or it speaks to the Monkey King fatigue, because there's been so many Monkey King films of late, and that's something we'll pr- perhaps talk about in our next show. Uh, yeah, um, well, Detective Chinatown 2 and Monster Hunt 2 actually benefited because they were released by studio. So De- Detective Chinatown 2 was released by Warner Brothers, even though it was a very small release, 115 screens. So it was like a China line, bigger than a China line release, bigger than your typical well-go release, just slightly bigger, but it's still pretty big for a day-and-day Chinese film. But on per screen average, I think uh, Youth and some of the other Chinese films done better. So it wasn't a great, great weekend, but $872,000 US is okay. It's definitely big for a Chinese film, but in terms of per screen average, I think we've seen bigger ones from um, on on titles like I think Love in the Buff back in the day actually was, they had a huge, huge per screen average. I think Wolf Warrior 2 also had a pretty big per screen average. So it wasn't Big weekend. I don't know why the article points out Monster Hunt so pre, pre, you know, so early on because the thing is, actually, like I was saying just now, Detective Chinatown Two actually has taken over Monster Hunt Two at the box office. So the real game changer is probably Detective Chinatown Two. But of course, people only saw the weekend as the gauge, but they don't realize that Chinese New Year holiday goes on for the entire week. People are right. just going to work tomorrow. So actually, the Chinese New Year holiday just ended today, and the real results, uh, sh- no one sh- no one can talk about the real results until today. And I can tell you that the real result is that Detective Chinatown 2 beat Monster Hunt 2, and um, Operation Red Sea will already have longer legs than Monster Hunt 2, and will end up probably being the second highest Chinese New Year film mm. of the year. Interesting. So we'll come back next week, I think, and we'll have some further number breakdowns to discuss once um, more of these results come in, right? Yeah, yeah. Off to some other film news and director news. Uh, You've got some Fang Xiaogang news. Yeah, um, Variety just reported from Berlin that uh, Fang Xiaogang is working on a sequel to uh, Cell Phone. Speaking of the the sort of holiday periods, actually, Feng Xiaogang is the man who cre- who turned December into into a major major uh, box office um, uh, period for for Chinese films. So Feng Xiaogang, he for the longest time he released films in mid December, late December, and of course, people don't celebrate Christmas in uh, in in China. But it's just because of his films, they were usually doing so well that it somehow turned December into this really lucrative period for films. It's this interesting not non-holiday period before the Chinese New Year. So it's only right that uh, I guess we can talk about him. You know, it's the, the father, the, the father of the modern Chinese blockbuster uh, on this episode. But yeah, um, 2003 made his hit, hit film called Cell Phone, which looked at uh, how the use of cell phone revealed the extramarital affair of a, of a businessman. And it seems like 
uh, uh, Feng Xiaogang is getting ready to go back to that hit film and with a sequel, yeah. uh, according and, to him. And that's a plot device that's been heavily borrowed now by Patrick Kong. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much every movie he's ever done. That is true, and and it's I, I, I can tell you, you know, in the last fourteen years since the first cell phone, I mean, the the cell phone technology has 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 advanced quite a bit, and I think it is ripe for a new new um, new take by Feng Shaogang. Even though we all know that, let's face it, Feng Shaogang is only doing a sequel because the same reason why he did a sequel to If You're the One because it makes a ton of money. Yeah. So so that's probably why he's doing it. But it's interesting that he did two very sort of artsy, not so typical Feng Xiaogang films and now he's going back to make money for himself and help the stock price of his company Huayi Brothers um, but but yeah so um, this is what looks seems like that's what Feng Xiaogang is working on next alright we'll look forward to that um, before we get into our reviews one final uh, little note that I forgot to mention earlier Kevin was talking about uh, Detective Chinatown 2 as one of the bigger if not the biggest uh, Lunar New Year movies if you are not familiar with that franchise and you have access to Amazon Prime, the first film, which I think was from 2015, uh, is actually streaming on Prime now. So you can check it out there. I watched it over the weekend and really enjoyed it. Um, Kevin was mentioning to me before that, unfortunately, this film didn't get a lot of screenplay when it came out in Hong Kong, right? And you guys don't have Detective Chinatown 2 there right now, right? I think it just got released. I mean, it just got announced yesterday for March release because it got so big. But I don't even remember the Detective Chinatown got a theatrical release because I saw it. I saw bits and pieces of it on pay TV, like on the Star Chinese Movie Channel before the Golden Horse Awards or Hong Kong Film Awards or something like that. It was on TV. So there was definitely a, a Hong Kong distributor. But I don't even remember if that film even opened uh, in, in Hong Kong. But the second film, I think, just got announced yesterday that it will be released here in March. Probably a very small release. No one will go see it, just like the first film. Hmm. All right, it's not bad. It's pretty funny. Um, so if you're looking to get on with that intellectual property, you do check out uh, Amazon Prime if you have that. Let's take a short musical break, and when we're back, it's our first Lunar New Year film review with Kevin's look at Agent Mr. Chan. When the war is over, it's a brand new start. Everything on the earth, everything plays its part. Holes on the earth, the sky, the ground, the light, and the shark. And welcome back. So, for the first Year of the Dog movie, hopefully it's not a dog movie, uh, Dale Wong is back with the Agent Mr. Chan, right? Yeah, well, it is a bit of a dog, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure how people, if people are familiar with Dale Wong. Of course, we in Hong Kong, we're super, we love Dale Wong. Um, Dale Wong is... He, just like Feng Xiaogang is the father of the modern Chinese blockbuster, Dale Wan is the father of the Hong Kong stand-up comedy. 
um, he he was the one who started doing big. Um, he started he started doing stand up com- comedy shows, and he took it all the way from a small little arena in in a uh, sports sports arena in Wan Chai all the way to the Hong Kong Coliseum, which is quite impressive. I mean, who does who in Hong Kong can do stand up comedy shows? Nine com a, a whole a whole series of nine ser- stand up comedy shows in a venue of ten thousand people, and people still can't get tickets. Only Dale Wong can do that. That's how big he is. Um, but of course, he's also big uh, on TV. But then the one one world that he's never been able to to succeed in is movies. In fact, he he always jokes about how he's um he's box office poison in his comedy specials. He does it all the time. He talks about writing. Um, the, remember the film Michael Huey and Leon Lai? I think that was one of one of uh, uh, Dale Wong's first script writing jobs. And then he he talks about this on a special. Like he goes at length about this. He said he kept right. He was, he was so honored to work with Michael Huey. It was such a big deal. And he was writing the script. And he thought, yeah, I was. I'm gonna be in it. I'm gonna star next to Michael Huey. And then the role ended up going to Leon Lai. And of course, it was a huge hit because of the Michael Huey film. And then all the films that he did were essentially all flops and no one saw it. And in fact, the last film that he starred in was House of Mahjong in 2007. Uh, so, you know, he has, he's had a little bit of star, uh, uh, cameos and supporting roles here and there. But his last major film role was actually 10 years ago of House of Mahjong. And who remembers House of Mahjong? Yeah, it's Magic Touch is the Magic Touch, the film, okay. Yeah. So do do you remember? I never saw House of Mahjong. Even I've never seen House of Mahjong. Have you seen House of Mahjong? I've seen House of Mahjong. Yes. Was was a was that a major day of Wong Ro? Um, I don't think I don't recall it being quite as big as. I mean, he was he co-starred along with uh, Anita Moy in Let's Sing Along. Let's right? Sing Along, the, the yeah, karaoke yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. That's the one that you know when I think of a, a day of Wong film that I really enjoyed. Uh, that I go back to, and and he's bounced around too. He's not, you know, he's he's done movies, but he's also done um, uh, a couple TV dra- B dramas over the years. Um, you know, he did one with he did a Singaporean thing, I think, with Carol Chang. He did a, a draw TV no, no, drama no, with with uh, a Ada uh, Ada, Ada Choi. Yeah, no, but the 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 thing with uh, Carol Chang was a huge sitcom. He was is. Um, yeah, you know, you know, I work for uh, actually. They, it's been on Cathay Pacific, and it's been one of the most popular programs on board. Even mm-hmm. now, even like ten years later, or even like fifteen years later, or however many long years later, yeah. it's still one of the most popular things to watch on Cathay Pacific. That's how big it was, and and he he's always been huge on TV. You know, yeah. I mean, um, I've seen all, most of his stuff. I'm looking at like the film list, like Nothing Is Impossible, um, Fighting to Survive, and they're just not very memorable fighting to survive is about him being the bodyguard and like guarding people from uh rapists and turn moon right yeah yeah like, yeah i actually like that film but and and it's sort of it's sort of become a cult classic in some way because it made so little money at the time but people who watched it actually liked it and they still like it to this day so it's become a bit of a cult film and in fact that's pretty much dale wants um film career so that's why he hasn't had a starring role in 10 years because he he has been such a Box such a famous as box office poison that I think he just didn't have the guts to go back to film, even though he's been hugely successful everything else. So Adrian Mr. Chan, that's the significance of Adrian Mr. Chan. It's the first big Dale Wong film in ten in over a decade, um, and of course they have to pick Chinese New Year, which is the perfect time for him to make a comeback to film. But he didn't direct the film actually. Um, the film uh, he I think he partly. Uh, uh, 
co-wrote it, and of course, you can expect lots of which I'm called improvisation on his part. But actually, the film is directed by Chen Ka Kit. He's a new director, I think, or some part one of those former Jeff Chen, part one of those former assistant directors. Um, not a big name. I think just a sort of a major execution guy, not a not a comedy guy. But yeah, um, Dale Wong is one of the five, four or five writers. He's not actually Dale Wong's not credited as a writer, so he's one of the five writers uh, on the film. Uh, but anyway, um, the story. Uh, Mr. Chan, played by Dale Wong, was once an elite agent at a spy agency. However, a mistake in 1997 cost him him and his partner their jobs. Since then, Mr. Chan has been working uh, as a sleazy private detective to make ends meet. Now, when the financial secretary, played by um, Lawrence Chang, embarrasses himself after being drugged, the security bureau chief, uh, played by Charmaine Shea, who actually has been making Mr. Chan's life miserable ever since he used her for his mission 20 years ago, is forced to ask Mr. Chan for help to solve the case. So like I said, this is actually, I think, Dale Wong's maybe first attempt, even his first attempt, or biggest attempt at a, at a New to New Year blockbuster. Um, and of course, we just talked about this. These sort of essential elements of new to new year film is, you know, uh, comedy, um, very lighthearted, and of course, lots of cameos. Um, now, Patrick Kong's beautiful moment sells itself on that formula that oh, we have eighty big stars, even though actually you get TV stars and. I think Steffi and Joey Young is is the biggest cameo of that film. Here, Dale Washi really wins on cameo. I mean, he doesn't sell it at all. But you can expect Miriam Yuan, Sammy Chan, Hanina Law, even a certain helicopter pilot that we love. Um, there's even uh, internet celebrities that people, I think, in a, out of, outside of Hong Kong won't know. I mean, who's going to know who Dixon is? I know who Dixon is. But that's because I keep up with the internet celebrities in Hong Kong. But I think most people outside of Hong Kong won't know who Dixon is. But yeah, Dixon has a small supporting role here. And I think people love to see Dale Wong act. But there's a reason why his films don't do well. It's because they're not very well put together. Whether he's directing or not, or uh, yeah, whether he's directing or just acting, they, they just aren't very good. Now, Fighting to Survive, actually, I find it very funny. But... Um, I, I think, you know, it's never going to be like on a top 10 list or, any, or whatever, but I found it was a very funny film. But the thing is, Dale Wong is a great stand-up comedian. He's a very witty comedian. He's a very witty, improvisational comedy actor, and he bounces well off his co-stars. But the thing is, a good stand-up comedian can only do so much to save a movie when the, when the script is weak or when the storytelling is weak or when it's not very funny. It seems like they spent all their money on cameos because the production value is not very good for a uh, spy movie. For example, this whole shot where Dale gets on a submarine and it just looks so bad. I just wonder, why do you even bother? Just find some other way around it. We can't even do it convincingly. It's like, okay, maybe it's supposed to look like crap, but I don't know. I, I doubt it. So for a spy movie, it just everything is shot you know, in closed quarters and in 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 cheap sets or you know they don't there's no real spectacle i mean we can't really expect a spectacle from a spy comedy but it, it sort of feels like the hong kong version of that melissa mccarthy spy movie spy but even cheaper <laughs> um 
So yeah, it's like sort of a second-rate spy movie. So it just doesn't look like a very good film in the first place. It doesn't look like a like to spend a lot of money in the first place because it is, I guess, relying on Hong Kong box office, and you can only make so much money from Hong Kong box office, and therefore it looks like the way it does. But apparently, an entire hour was actually cut out from the film. So you have a hundred now. The, the the film currently runs about hundred and five minutes, hundred hundred minutes or so, and apparently the original cut was two and a half hours. And I can see why because there's so many cameos and so many diversions because the can you know you have to give the cameo you know when we have Miriam Yuan when you have Sammy Chang you know, give them this the time right so so they did that and it sort of got in the way of storytelling which is fine for a Chinese New Year movie this is how it goes but the film is really badly strung together the, the, some of the stuff moves too quickly and you, you some of the plot points are sort of unexplained or or jumps from one place to another in a really abrupt way and it just seems like they could have just made a compromise a little bit and added maybe 10 minutes make it 120 minutes i think people can take a 120 minute movie even though cinemas would hate you a little bit but the thing is people will see it. it's a day one new year movie people will love it but that said it is fun and clever in small bursts there are some really clever things in the film uh in the story uh there's a pretty good little section in the middle that has dale wong visiting different women and actually that's a great idea if but i can't spoil it because you know it's a spoiler but i can but it's a really clever idea but the thing is the directing is so bad that it sort of gets stretched out to this 10 minute stretch that could have been done in maybe five minutes. It could have been cut in half with more creative directing. And that said, it's also hard to tell whether anyone outside of Hong Kong will get a lot of the humor, which is fine. Like I said, it's a really New Year movie, and and it is made, and it's always lampooning popular culture as updated as possible. And that's just the formula, and it's fine. And if you do keep up the culture, I think you'll get most of the jokes. It even sort of takes on this otaku culture in Hong Kong with female idols and things like that, which is not hard to get. Um, but uh, some of the verbal gags and perhaps some of the internet celebrity things and, and some of the cult- Cantonese humor is is not really meant for anyone outside of Hong Kong. And perhaps Dale Wong did put too much subtleties into his performance. I mean, he he is a actor. He is a thespian and, and he is a committed actor and he likes to put in small little things into his performance to build his character. For example, the character speaks of a lisp in Cantonese. And then you don't and I didn't realize until twenty, twenty five minutes in that he was actually trying to do Sean Connery. <laughs> but in Cantonese. Which was really weird. And and I don't think a Looney New Year audience would get why he's doing Sean Connery. Um and especially people in my generation would never get why he's doing Sean Connery. But of course we get it. I mean James Bond. Um also, uh, Charmaine Che, um, the co-star, got sidelined for portions of the film, which is really sad because the film actually is banking on their previous collaboration. They were uh, a pair on a on a hit TV TV drama a couple of years ago. Um, I forgot the name of it, but I think that's what they were selling. That's why they put them together again because of that previous collaboration. Um, but unfortunately, she is sort of out of the picture for the whole middle portion of the film, and they don't really get too much together. Um, so um, that's kind of sad, but he does, you know, Dale Wong gets plenty of great moments in with, you know, you got Ronald Chan and Lawrence Chan and all the other cameo stars that, you know, that he knows and that he meets. Um, but that said, not every joke actually lands. 
Um, it does keep throwing jokes at you every 30 seconds, every minute, and only about 50% of it really land, which I would say it's uh, a failure rate, even for a Chinese New Year film. Yes, it's a Chinese New Year film, but that doesn't mean we should lower our expectations in terms of comedy. It is out to make people laugh, and if we can't even make people laugh, then it's a failure. Still, I, I, I think perhaps we should be thankful that we're still getting a Cantonese-language New Year film in this day and age. I mean, this it is a co-production, but it, for how it handles, um, how it makes fun of government officials and some of the uh, more, let's say, crude humor in the film i'm surprised it, it, it will be shown in china uncut in fact there's no chinese release date yet um so we should be lucky we're still getting a hong kong oriented chinese new year film and i guess that's what mr adrian mr chan is so um yeah it's not a great film and it's not really dale Wan's best film ever and there's not that many to choose from really i think i still like let's sing along better but um it, it's good to see him back i have to say And welcome back. So for our second Lunar New Year film this week, uh, we are going to be talking about the big blockbuster smash yet again with the little monster that could in Monster Hunt 2. Uh, once again, coming from director Raman Hoy, who directed the first film, who is also known for having worked on uh, the Shrek movies and bringing his sort of style and sensibility of animation to this sort of live-action animation mix. The cast this time includes the originals, uh, Jing Boran and Bai Bai He, with the addition, of course, of little Tony, Tony Leung Chu Wai. The story here, picking up where the first film left off, the little monster prince known as Wuba gets separated from the monster tribe only to cross paths with human con artist 2, played by Tony Leung, uh, and a couple of his monster sidekicks. Meanwhile, Wuba's human adoptive parents, Tian Yi, played by Jing Boran, and Xiaolan, played by Bai Bai He, regret their decision to leave Wuba and decide to go back and look for him. But factions in both the monster world and the human kingdom are determined to capture the little monster prince and use him for their own ends. So we have a big sequel, what was once originally the first time a summer release, and, but I don't know if it was originally slated as a summer release because if you remember we talked about it, I think back on episode 168, that production had lots of problems because of a certain actor having to be recast because he had got caught with, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Jackie Chan's son, right? And they had, or was that a separate thing? No, no, thing? Um, um, Kai Ko. Kai Ko. Kai Ko. He, but he got in trouble yeah, yeah. for drugs, right, or something? Or, yeah, 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 drugs, yeah. drugs, yeah. And um, so he had, because they had originally shot footage with him, and they had to go back and do reshoots of the movie uh, with Jing Boran. So that film came out as a summer release. It was a huge, big blockbuster success, made lots and lots of money. And so here we are with the sequel, and it's uh, doing, as we talked about, already big numbers in terms of box office returns. And we'll talk maybe a little bit about uh, why that is. I think Kevin mentioned a little bit of that in the news section. 
but once again, it's the little monster that could. So, Ross, you are here as the the guest critic and commentator, so thank you again for being here. Uh, you've seen this. What were your thoughts mm-hmm. on it? Uh, well, to be honest, it, it was completely unmemorable, so I'm having a hard time remembering what I saw like two days ago. You, you know, this is just a product, and uh, as a result, it's hard to... Uh, to really, uh, and, and as, and as you know, so it, it works as a product. But like I said, it, it was not really a memorable film. You know, it, it didn't really do a lot that stood out to make it special or different or unusual. Or, you know, this is not the Dark Knight of the series. <laughs> okay. Or, or the Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, oh God, you know, they're taking a new direction. No, not at all. Do you think it was uh, a step up from the first one? To a degree, but you know, um, my problems with the it, it has a lot, all the same problems as the first one too. That's that's, that's one issue. See, one reason I kind of had an issue with the first one was I, I thought the whole eating monsters, the humans eating monsters thing, was really just super creepy for a kids' film. Okay, <laughs> and that's just a personal thing. I just thought it was gross that you saw these cute animals and then and then Yao Chen comes in and, and slices them up, and then next thing they're sashimi. It's just weird. You know, I mean, I don't know how kids can deal with that, but um, that. That doesn't really happen in this one, although there, there is monster eating monster, although the monsters are bad, so I guess it's okay. But, um, you know, the, the problem is both films are kind of like, they're, they're almost like sketch comedies. Especially with the insertion of Tony, I mean, it really feels like it's really trying to fit that Lunar New Year mode um, for much of it. And then you get you get a sort of second storyline with Bye Bye Ho and Jing Bo Ran, which is kind of doing the world building a little bit, and, and preparation for future films, maybe? Well, sort of, yes. Because, that's sad, because that's the main storyline from the first film. Yeah. And, and, but, you and know, the main... But the, the storyline from the first film was always so weak anyway, because they explained that this this little monster is supposed to, like, do something in the monster-human world. You know, it's, he's supposed to settle the warring factions on the monster side and bring humans monsters together. You know, in the first film, the, the world-building of that was just complete crap. Because, you know, everyone just they, they just they just got sidelined by, oh, no, monster is kidnapped and we don't want people to eat him. And everyone wants to eat him because I guess eating the chosen one is tastier than eating some regular monster. <laughs> I guess we can we can we can all be down with that sort yeah. of like, you know, that logic. But, you know, and then when the film ended, we didn't really know what was going to happen. And they, they let him go. And in this film, right away, they just regret it. It's like, good thing. Why didn't you regret it right when you did it or just not do it? You know, <laughs> I guess they didn't know they were going to make a sequel. Who knows? So. You know, it's it's just like the world building though was only limited to dealing with the the monster hunting society. Yep. Not with what's going on in the monster world. No, the you know, I mean no, the the monster world doesn't get any attention. It uh, you have the cameo. They, they enter it. They enter it at the end, but all it does is look like your standard RPG world. Yeah. And you have and the, like we really don't understand it at all yet. We don't get it. We don't get why there are warring factions. You do get. Right at the start, you have the carryover cameos by Eric Tsang and Sandra Um. They're really on it for, you know, less than two minutes of screen time for the most part. And then pretty much beyond that, it's either hijinks with Tony Lung or it's learning a, a little bit more about what's going on at the Monster Hunter Bureau. Um, and uh, and hijinks with, between uh, Bye Bye Ho and uh, Jing Po Ran. Yeah. You know. And uh, I guess for, for, for me, that worked in some ways as a as a new year film i mean the the hijinks scenes were nothing spectacular there's a kind of a callback once again to god of gamblers where they're doing a dice game only now monsters are involved so 
I mean, it's a little bit interesting, and as you point, it's, it's out, okay. It's it's marginally clever in those scenes, you know, and they use the monsters and there's some slapstick and all that sort of thing, and it it just doesn't make much sense if you look at it. If you if you sit back, you know, no one questions how Tony Leung can just drive around a cart with with, with, <laughs> with, with no, no horses, no horses, yeah. That's because he's got a monster inside, yeah. like powering it. You know, it's great, but it's like no one goes. He's, he, he's, what the hell? He's doing the Fred Flintstone on, on the inside. He's of got the, the chart. only guy. He's the only guy <laughs> in the entire town that does this. You know, I, and it, it's and it's weird though. I I really don't get it sometimes because like other times people don't seem to care monsters are around. Other times they do. You know, it's it's it's, it's all bizarre. You know, I, first of all, the film looks great. You know, the costumes are awesome and designs are great and you know sets are good. And, but in terms of story and how things are resolved, it's just like them pulling things out of their ass all the time. You know, it's just like, it's like occasionally they set up something where it's like, oh, you remember this because it'll come back later. And it does, you know, but most of the time it's, it's just really, really just standard screenwriting. You know, there's, there's no, there's no like, there's no depth to it. No interest, nothing interesting about it. It's just a lot of like, you know, cute hijinks and, uh, and family friendly entertainment. And, you know, for that, it's, it's not insulting. Okay. There are much worse family, family films. Or much worse new Lunar Year films. I can think about last year. There were, there were worse ones. Mm. So is, this is not like the worst film ever. Not at all. In fact, I would say it's fine. Compared to the yeah. first one, I'd say it's just as good, if not a little better, because you know I didn't have, feel as grossed out by it. But you know, nothing is that inspired, that great. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it fits a very baseline. I don't know. Maybe one of the problems is it's really hard to improvise and really reach highs in terms of this type of comedy when you're spending all your time blocking for special effects. I don't know. Right. You know, I, I've never done this, so I don't know what it's like. But it's just, it doesn't reach this level of inspiration where you just feel it's really good. It's just like, it's just a very comfortable series. That's it. You know, for a certain demographic. Not like a Hong Kong film demographic. It's just like a, you know, anybody demographic. It's what Hollywood runs on. Yeah, as you mentioned, the first one is is rather quite disturbing because you do have this dynamic of monsters that eat humans. I mean, if you, I've just gone back to rewatch the first one. Uh, as sort of a refresher, and I forgot like the early on scenes with the Eric Tsang and Sandra M characters as monsters. They're sitting there, you know, sniffing at Jing Bo Ran, talking about how yummy he's going to be when they eat him, and, and this yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then you get the reverse of that with the humans eating the monsters in the the latter part of the film, and pretty much that's all gone now. Um, you have the monsters kind of sitting around eating corn and stuff, and and they don't make any allusions to that. You do have one scene. A couple deaths at the end in the big battle, and then one scene where one monster eats another big monster to get even bigger. That's a but little bit. But he's eating. It's, but it's a bad monster eating a yeah. bad monster. So but it's, it's still okay. it's still a little bit you know disturbing considering you know it's monster on monster cannibalism and how you can explain that to a kid. Um, but they have kind of moved away from that to try and make it even I think more family friendly. Um, one of the things I read was that the English dub version of this that's available out there on iTunes and Amazons is actually cut by 12 minutes. And so some people who've watched both versions have said, you know, they cut out a lot of the the violence and, and some of those illusions, but the story doesn't make a lot of sense with those Even cuts. the first one? The first yeah, one. the first one. This is the first okay, one, which okay. is there's a dubbed version, an English dubbed version, that exists out there on iTunes and Amazons that's cut down um, to try and really make it into a kid's film. Um, I see this is a cultural thing again, because, you know, once in China, no one blats an eye at the first one being a kid's film. They didn't care yeah. because, you know, these stories of like monsters eating monsters and like, you know, and like, and like evil female ghosts wanting to seduce scholars and stuff. That stuff was like, eh, I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read this to you at bedtime, kid. And then tomorrow you're going to kindergarten. So it's like, <laughs> 
it's like this is this is a cultural thing you know they, they, they're cool with it you know maybe they'll they'll become less cool with it later i don't know you know who knows yeah. and then you know and then someone just realized wait a second the people in the west don't like this this is a problem for our, our netflix deal so yeah uh you know this film cleaned that up a bit but as a result it becomes kind of even more edgeless right. you know and you know, uh, th- there are some parts of it okay. Actors, are, there's nothing wrong with the actors. Tony is is fine. You know, he's slumming, but he's not. It's not the worst. He's not really phoning it in, which is you know, you know, a nice thing to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I was you know. I was kind of excited to see Tony in a in a Chinese New Year film. I mean, you can look back at some of the work he's done over the past few years. The Grandmaster was kind of pre Chinese New Year, but I mean, for a true kind of comedy Chinese New Year film, you'd have to go back to, um, I guess, I don't know, Soul Raiders, was, does that count? Or, or even well, that before that? Well, that was a Chinese that, New Year film, yeah. My Lucky Star with uh, Miriam, like, that was back in 2003. Well, that, was a, that was a totally true uh, New Year film. Although you could argue that uh, the one he did last year is kind of a Chinese New Year film. The See You, see you Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah could argue that. Christmas, but yeah, it was pretty much a Chinese New Year yeah. film. It was a very artistic Chinese New Year film. <laughs> uh, it was it was a Chinese New Year film. It yeah. it, it, just, it it played like one in many many ways, and yeah. you know it, it it was more inspired than this. You know as, more, as much as many people say it's like a problem, not a good film. It's it had more moments of inspiration than this. You know th- this is fine for kids, but you know it, it's it's just one of those things. It's a product, and so I, I had a hard time getting excited about it. And afterwards, like I said, I can't really remember much. Right. You know, I can't really, I can't really glom onto things to tell you that oh, it's 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 like you know, it's it's good. You know, it's like you know, there's little things, little 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 bits of this and little bits of that, like some martial arts choreography or something, some sort here and there. But it's like small, right? Very little. You know, with bye bye her and her whip, you know, rolling around and. and you know, and, and then, but then there's a, a sword that people surf on, so so it's like you're watching like some, some I don't know. It's like <laughs> old some, old uh, Gamyong, uh, kung fu wushu comic book stuff. Yes, or, or, or crap you'd see on 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 after school TV shows. <laughs> right. I I don't know. It's 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 okay, but you know it, it's 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 one of those things. You know, I it depends. You have to ask yourself really. Who are you? What do you want to see? If you want, if you're you're dying to see this film, then I doubt you're going to be that disappointed because it probably gives you exactly what you want. Right. But if you're like on the fence, then you know it, it just you know ask yourself what you want. It's very simple. You know, if if you're looking for something that is really inspired and different and creative, eh, that's not it. Kevin was talking about you know the as we looked at more traditional sort of Lunar New Year films, and th- I mean this is in that mode, but don't get a lot of big cameos here. As I mentioned, Eric Tsang, Sandra M, right in the beginning, is carryovers from the first film. You have Liu Chun, who is she? She was like one of the big singing winners on The Voice or one of those reality shows, and she's moved over into to acting. She's like the underworld boss here, who has affections for Tony, and then he's like, you know, runs around. And he's going to marry her, and he's not going to marry her, and so uh, kind of very typical Chinese New Year writing. In, in, in some comedy skits or sketches, as Ross pointed out. Tony Yang is the head of the Monster Hunter Bureau, and I think uh, Da Peng is the weapon master. That, that, the, the part when they go to the Monster Hunter, again, it's like this these two different storylines that converge at the end. So they go to the Monster Hunter Bureau to find out about Jing Boran's father, who's mentioned in the first film as this famous Monster Hunter who then 
works to protect monsters. Yeah, he, he's like a he's like a, a mystery that'll probably be brought yeah. back in the third one. And but see, what's going to be annoying is that it's true what you mentioned is like the third one will probably resolve the point of what happened to the father. Like, why did he start you know going from killing monsters to uh, saving monsters, or, or or protecting them in any case? And also like what the big deal is with Wuba. All that stuff will probably get brought in. But, you know, it's like all that stuff is really not... They don't put it out there so that you're really that curious or that interested or that uh, you don't have the expectation that's going to mean anything as an audience member. They lay it out there. But trust me, the third film, when it comes out, they could just flip it all around. His father can be just like a delivery man and like Uba <laughs> is nobody. And you're not going to have any fans revolt and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and ask for petitions making Monster Hunt 3 not a part of the canon. That's, that stuff is not going to happen. Okay? Well, we, we, we hope it won't happen. Who knows? Uh, a lot may change in the next couple of years. Uh, the thing that, that I thought was funny, though, was because when you think of Monster Hunt, and I talked a little bit about this with the first film, one of the things that comes to mind is the, the Monster Hunter series, right? Monster Hunter X and the games and things, where you play a hero who goes out and hunts monsters and gets cash and weapons and things. And the monster, because the monster designs are not that scary, not that realistic here, they're a bit more cartoony, I still find it funny that when they go to the Monster Bureau, you know, they use these terms like, you know, um, Bye Bye Huzz characters like, oh, I should be a level three monster hunter now. I'm going to go and, and level up at the Bureau. And then they go to the Weapon Master and, and they buy new weapons <laughs> and they, they, get, they get their gear and then they go back out into the monster hunting world. So there's a, there's a kind of plotting language here i think which is very familiar to kids and to people who play the video games too that's not very deep and again it's very different from the stuff that's going on with with tony lung and it's only like right at the end when these two different story threads come together and for Wu Bai himself he i'm as ross mentioned he's supposed to be this prophesized prince you know but he hasn't grown much maybe a little bit you know in terms of from the first film because not a lot of time has passed but i'm like what are they going to do with him because all he really does is he dances and he eats corn <laughs> he doesn't do much else <laughs> he also spits um, out rocks yeah he spits like out rocks and, and he does that in both films and it's a big deal um supposedly. so maybe that's his that's going to be his superpower in actually in it's pretty obvious film. what his superpower is because he can even make a uh, a, a grifting uh, scumbag like tony you know get all sad mm. And and want to take care of a little radish, a little fat radish. Yeah. And <laughs> he's like and, a cross becomes, between. He humanizes him, you know. He he's like he's like Pikachu, only yes, you know, yeah. he's a, he... only not powerful. His design, I, I I attribute to being a cross between a, a radish and a chia pet because he's got those little like bean sprouts growing on his head. And if that's something uh, that appeals to you, you know, I think you'll at least have a little bit of fun with this film. Again, you're not going to see a Monster Hunt film for uh, deep storylines. These kinds of things have been told in lots of other, you know, Chinese plotted one films. One thing, thing that I will say was more successful about Wuba in the first one is a lot of it was how Wuba charmed uh, Jingboran and uh, Bai Baha. Mm. And it worked more there because at that time we didn't know Uba either. So the fact that he was like a toddler and he had these cute affectations, you know, it kind of works on them and us. Mm-hmm. But in this, you already know what he's like. And in this, you know, he doesn't change or isn't anything new. And, and he doesn't really even use his charms on Tony Lung that much. Right. You know, because he's split in the narrative. So it's not even, he's not even appearing half the time. So it's like, 
it's like now it's just assumed that he does that, and so you expect, yeah, it's gonna work on Tony, and Tony's gonna be all charmed too. But you see that that that, that connection you have with him is gone. So as a result, right. you, you don't even care about him that much this time. It almost felt like with this film, because um, there was one scene that stood out in my mind where Wuba, it's like about thirty to sixty seconds of him making a bunch of laughs and facial expressions and just going. Blah, 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 blah. And I was thinking, that's really almost like a animation set piece, you know, to see, let's push and see what we can do. Because it's like they're trying to push the boundaries of what they can do graphically and with facial capture and, and the animation and whatever techniques they're using um, to, s- to try and technically set it apart from the first film. So I think that from the technical standpoint, the monsters, the integration of monsters with humans in this film does look a lot better. The production value, as you mentioned, the sets and the, the costuming and all that look great. And it does sort of stand apart on its own on that level. That's a point I, I want to come back to next week, too, when I talk about Monkey King 3, how a lot of Chinese films, in terms of their special effects use and productions, while they may not contribute well to the plotting, they are really looking amazing in terms of what they're doing as far as standards and, and how they look. Well, those are actually a lot of the Koreans actually doing them. So it's not even the Chinese. Well, it's not a matter of, of who's doing it. I mean, Hollywood outsources tons and tons of their stuff, um, you know, getting done. It's just that the level of quality, I think, in the past, you know, five years or so has really kind of jumped up. And perhaps that's indicative of the ability to make bigger and bigger blockbusters and be able to throw more money at stuff. And And this film, too, I guess, wasn't really bogged down by the the issues we talked about having to go and spend a lot of money on reshoots because of the actor issue. So uh, they had said a- they had to spend like double that on Tony Lum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know how much that guy costs? Yeah. My God. I wonder, and I wonder too, I mean, it's like you're Bye Bye Hu and you're Jingbo Ron and you're thinking, yeah, we had a really super successful first movie and we're going to be in the sequel. And then suddenly you say, yeah, but you're going to get Tony Lung. <laughs> your co-star and like, it's, it's oh. actually creatively creatively it's really weird though because the character doesn't serve any necessary purpose in the story no no. i mean like you know no. if, if he had played the father i might have gotten it you know oh, let's get a big fa- big star to play the father then you then make sense but yeah he the character is not somebody that needs to be in the series so it's like someone they wrote in for him or something it's like you know wh- why did they decide they need to bring in the super mega mega star yeah. and overshadow it because it, the first one did really well without him right so it's it's weird, actually. You just wonder. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Kevin has an insight into this, but you know, it's just I wonder why they what they bothered like doing this. It's like you can understand why they would do it in a star-driven film, like Cold War to Cold War Two to Cold War Three. Why, you know, Cold War Two has to have the Chinese fat Andy Lau jump on board, or Chinese fat Andy Lau won't be in the, until the third one. But you know, because this these are star-driven films, but this is not a star-driven film. So why 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 sit here and bring in a guy who's gonna like take over the whole movie essentially i i think well i think they've announced it but they they want tony learn they signed him up for also a, a spin-off film um that i'm not sure if it's complete green light green light yet but when they actually signed on tony learn they said that he's going to do a monster hunt spin-off as well so perhaps that was the idea i'm not sure but i think of course they want the, the 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 franchise to to appeal more to overseas people. That's why probably why they also brought in Tony Lund. I, I don't think it's going to work out then because you know 
even in films they take the lore slightly more seriously, like Transformers, even people get sick of that crap. <laughs> the, the lore really has to mean something to people. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. But then again, if the lore means too much to you, then they change it. And then if you don't like it, they call you a, a piss baby or something. So you know, I don't even know anymore what people want. I give up. <laughs> That's true. We should all just give up. I would say that if you've not seen Monster Hunt and you don't have access right now, or, or you do have access, but you haven't thought about going and seeing Monster Hunt 2, but are somebody who likes to keep up with Chinese cinema, that you should probably watch these, uh, just like Wolf Warrior 2, simply because you'd want to get a feel for why these films are, are doing it as well as they're doing. So even if you think maybe, you know, thinking, oh, that's, that's a kid's film or family film, and that's not really my thing, but um, it does get, sort of give you some insight into what's happening in the industry and what's you know promoting and pushing these films to the forefront um, to make as much money as they are making. And yet Meow was a flop. <laughs> yeah, but it was still a fun <laughs> flop. <laughs> really? Yeah. Paul liked it, dude. Paul liked it. Uh, I, I didn't know that, man. I'm sorry. I had, I had, know. I that's, had lots, that's and lots of fun with that film. Um <laughs> I had a lot of fun too, but all that, all the, all the fun came from like this, this, this gnawing negativity that you know, I got to use for like boundless, uh, boundless jokes and uh, insults and, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. You know, that's where my fun with meow comes from. Sure, yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, everybody's got a thing, a passion island out there. So, thing I want to sort of end on with you, Ross, in talking about New Year films. You, you've not seen the other films yet. Right. No, the, no, I haven't seen any of Are you, you going to try and get out and see anything, or is there anything? If, I, if I'm lucky to, I'll see one of the other three mm. before they exit theater. But, you know, I'm not even sure which one I'll get to. Um, depends. Timing is not good right now. Right. So, right. Um, do you I'll have, catch them all eventually. Do you have a favorite uh, Lunar New Year film that you like to go back and watch during the holiday period, or anything you return to? During the holiday period, not really. I mm. mean, you know. I, I don't. I don't make it a point to watch a New Year film during during the holiday period. If you're asking me like Wednesday, I will like enjoy that. I do enjoy going back and and seeing. You know, of course there are a bunch. You know, there's a. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, the Jackie Chan films are not considered. I mean, they they were Lunar New Year films. It's just, you know, they they, they weren't. You know, stuff like uh, Super Cop and Police Story One and Two and all that stuff. Oh, well, that all came out during Lunar New Year. Right. Um, but. So, but are they Lunar New Year films? Not by the, uh, not in terms of the genre sense. No, just right. in terms of release date. Right. So, yeah, you know, the, those are not really good examples in terms of ones that fit that mold. Of course, you know, All's Well Ends Well, the original is like you know still something I can watch and, and giggle about. Um, a lot of Stephen Chow films were Lunar New Year films in both uh, uh, release date and in form, and uh, and those ones I I really enjoy. Forbidden City Cop. Uh, is, is great. I can watch that anytime. Yeah, it'd be interesting. We yeah. were, we were talking with Kevin uh, before you joined in about if if the site if your site were still running fully active, it would be great to kind of because you did these really great breakdowns of like the best films of the '80s, best films of the '90s, and then the best overall Hong Kong films. Getting having you know audience and viewers contribute to that. It'd be great to kind of do a best Lunar New Year films kind of kind of listing but i guess it then begs the question of what really qualifies as a lunar new year film because if unfortunately do, it does yeah. because because like i said that then you can qualify because then immediately you know what's the best lunar new year film right police story okay because <laughs> 2000 ad 
<laughs> yeah, 2008. Well, 2080 wouldn't cut it, make the cut, okay? But that was a Lunar New Year film. Yeah. You know? Uh, Tokyo Raiders fits that idea a little better. All-star silliness. 2080 is nothing silly about it other than the fact that it was really stupid. Yeah. That just made it silly. Except for Francis Ng. Francis, I'm sorry. Every time I mention 2080, Francis Ng is freaking awesome in that movie. You just watch the first half just for him. Sorry, he's not in the second half. You can guess what happens. But, you know... <laughs> He's still he's still amazing in that film, uh, Francis Ng. You know, it's just such a nothing role, and he just makes it like you know, award worthy. That, that's something worth mentioning. But like, yeah, I mean, like, how can these films? Wh- wh- where do you draw the line for what a Lunar New Year film is? It's hard. You know, if we made them all, they have to be all star comedies and stuff. Then why don't you put in everywhere, uh, um, uh, like Love Is Pajamas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a Lunar New Year film and everything but release date. But release date, right. That's true. You know? well, I was just telling Paul that I didn't remember a single thing from Hello Babies. I didn't realize that was a Lunar New Year film. It totally was. It, you know, tons of stars, tons of cameos. Yeah, but I didn't remember a sing- yeah, I didn't remember a single thing from that movie. I didn't remember it existed until I looked it up. I remember it existed, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a super memorable... You know, New Year films are not known for being memorable, but that's the problem with uh, Monster Hunt. Monster Hunt needs to be memorable if it has a lore. Because uh, it's not like there was a lore in the All's Well, Ends Well movies, okay? <laughs> if there had been one, then yeah, okay, we would... No one knows what the lore is. It's like, what? The lore is like, you know, there's always a cab driver who who, who drives around Panda Aang, and she's always freaked out when she gets in the cab. Is that part of the lore? You guys don't even remember that, do you? I don't. I don't remember that one. No. In the first film, she got into a cab, and all oh yeah, of... and she's like, "Why are you driving me?" Yeah. yeah, where, yeah. Are you, who, where are you driving me? Where are you going? And it's like some some throwaway gag. And then in like 2009, 17 years after the original, they did the exact same gag, for no real reason than the fact that it was Sandra Hang, and you know, it was it was funny at the time. But is that part of the lore? But so so what is it? You know, I mean, it, it's just yeah, you know, New Year's films are not given to lore. They're not given to any real strong plotting. But I would argue that, despite that, Monster Hunt needs to have that. Because that, well, otherwise, what's the point? Yep. That's true. Uh, likelihood of a Monster Hunt 3, Ross, Kevin? 100%. Sure, why not? Greater chance than the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA championship. <laughs> <laughs> and a, probably a better chance than uh, Ekin doing a Let's Do Slam Dunk 2, right? Um. <laughs> No, that, that's that, that's never gonna happen. Unfortunately, power, 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 Sakura too, guys. I'm holding out. Hope. Okay. You, you know, as long as Jingle Ma is alive, everything that he made has a has a potential for a sequel. <laughs> Just because you know he's pitching it somewhere. Hey, you can make a sequel to that film I did that really sucked and no one liked it. You know, he's made a sequel to one of his other films that that no one cared about, hasn't he? What you mean, Europe Raiders? <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Soul Raiders. No one gives a crap about. So you don't even, you know it's just it's just what is this, you know? Why are you making it? It's like hot war, yeah, hot war two, hot war two. <laughs> so Silverhawk two, Silver, fly me to Polaris two, where Richard and dies again. There was a fly to me put to Polaris reboot. Oh though. Shit, there was, yeah, there's a reboot, there's a reboot, not a sequel. But actually, that was liked. <laughs> that that was a film that was liked. Okay. Actually, Jingle Mob made the sequel, didn't he? He had something to do with it, but I don't know if he directed it. It's not a sequel. It was like a, a remake or a reboot. It's a reboot, yeah, yeah, yeah. A China one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say about uh, about Jingle Ma is that uh, not, not, not a good director. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish... 
Although, actually, Jingle Ma is sort of born to be a Chinese New Year film director. I mean, he just sort of slaps all these things. He's the, kind of that old generation where he wants to make films that are just slapping, pretending to be hip, and just slap all kinds of big stars together. And big the stars are willing to work. His films look too good. They're too polished to be Lunar New Year films. I hate to say it that way. Part of me feels mm-hmm. that way. They're just a Lunar New Year film can be polished. I mean, just because Agent Mr. Chan looks like crap doesn't mean that it's automatically, you know, it's good. Uh, no, enough to it's not. It's, I'm not saying correlation. It's, this is correlation. For, I'm not. This, I'm not. I'm not saying there has to be a correlation. But it's like you know, Jingle Ma has like all these other things going on in his films. It's like, it's it's he 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 doesn't really. Uh, it's just it's just so incongruous to have like like these really this like all the slow mo everywhere. It's really great cinematography. You know, a good art direction, good costuming. And what you know, just just for people screwing around. But you know about Silverhawk, by the way, I was going to say that if anyone's pushing for a sequel to that, it's Michelle Yeoh. Wait, wasn't that also a New Year film, or was that the Touch? The Touch, I think, was Christmas, but I think Silverhawk was Lunar New Year. Ha. Uh, yeah, Silverhawk had a run from uh, January to February, so yeah, definitely Lunar New Year. You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at kongcast. You can email us eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook at eastswests. Um, as always, I urge you to follow along with Kevin and all that he does. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? Uh, you can check out my site, AsianCinema.com. I still update that once in a while, I guess. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. You can also read my work on Cathay Pacific and on uh, Cathay Dragon on uh, Discovery and Secret Magazines. And you can email me at Kevin at AsianCinema.com. Right, and big thanks to our special Lunar New Year guest, Mr. Ross Chen, a.k.a. Kozo, of the very aforementioned lovehkfilm.com, which is on hiatus, but are, are, are there any projects or anything of note that you're working on that you'd want people to know about? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, they can follow along with the Love HK Film Group on Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. The people can show up there and... And and uh, participate in arguments until eventually maybe I show up and stop them. Uh, so that's my main project: stopping people from fighting with each other on my Facebook group. <laughs> they can go there. They can visit uh, the Facebook group where people still talk about things. And more importantly, people who I don't even know show up to post links to their own work elsewhere. Yeah, that's always <laughs> the most a, important thing a, of all. That's always great. Yeah. Yeah, the um. most important thing of all. That it not only is it a group for people who who visit who read lovehkfilm.com, it is also a place where unrelated people can show up to pitch their wares. Yeah, pimp, pimp, pimp their site. To to, uh, <laughs> yes, to pimp their site. Yes, I'm happy to contribute to the global marketplace of ideas. And of course, please do stop by if you're interested in Hong Kong films at all at lovehkfilm.com. While it is on hiatus, there is a tremendous database of old film reviews and. 
Of, as I mentioned, you've got the best of decades and the best of overall Hong Kong films uh, to go through and sort of edify yourself on Hong Kong cinema if that is something that interests you. Please do check out our friends over at Podcast on Fire as well. And, of course, our next show, episode 250, will be the second part of our Lunar New Year special where we will continue talking about uh, a couple of the Lunar New Year films that are currently out. Kevin, what will you be talking about next time? Uh, I kind of previewed it this episode, but I'll, I'll finally rip Patrick Kong's uh, beautiful moment a new butthole. <laughs> okay. And I will be, of course, talking about the third installment in the Monkey King franchise, and that is Monkey King 3, uh, sometimes called uh, Kingdom of Women. So we mentioned a little bit about how that film is faring in the news section, not doing quite as well as the second film, and I'll be weighing in on that one. And I think, Kevin, you've seen that, so you'll be weighing in as well. Yep. So all of that and more on our next show. Again, big thanks to Ross for stopping by and celebrating the new year with us by giving us some of his feedback and thoughts on Monster Hunt 2. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you great prosperity in the year of the dog, and we'll see you next time. We'll have a choice. See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Hello. 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 Gong hei fa choi. Happy New Year. <laughs> this is great. We are we are uh, happy to bring on our Lunar New Year guest cameo for this episode with uh, none other than Kozo, Mr. Ross Chen himself. Welcome, sir. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Enthusiastic as always. Sorry, um, I'm uh, I'm a bit sick. So. Yeah, it's a bit bit under the weather, but we do thank you very much for coming on to join us. And uh, we've just finished up Kevin's review of Agent Mister Chan, and so we're going to move on to our review of Monster Hunt Two. And I'll give a brief introduction, Ross, and then I'll let you talk a little bit about your thoughts on the film. Uh, if I can remember, sure. Okay. <laughs>